Hello, and welcome to Prophecy Girls, a Buffy rewatch podcast. I'm Kara Babcock, pronouns she, her. And I'm Stephanie Chow, pronouns she, her. Join us each week as we break down every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer from the beginning. This is a spoiler-free podcast, and we're currently on season three. Whether you're watching for the first time or longtime fans like us, we'll be analyzing every episode, character, and storyline like it's our first time, too. During this rewatch, we'll reminisce about our memories of Buffy, discuss the show's cultural impact, and provide honest commentary from a 21st century lens. Thanks for listening. Now on to the episode. Season 3, Episode 9, The Wish. Cara, you love this episode. Stephanie... I had a disturbing revelation. Oh, let's hear it. You know how we've been hating on the Willow-Xander romance this whole time? Yes. I re- just realized, having rewatched this episode, which you're correct, I love this episode. It's one of my favorites. We owe this episode's existence to the Xander-Willow romance because if that didn't happen, Cordelia wouldn't have been so aggrieved. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you're saying that the whole storyline that we got so angry about was justified because it was actually leading to this episode, which is the whole point of that affair. Is that what you're saying? I'm saying that (laughs) I'm grateful this episode exists and I have to give credit to why it exists, even if I don't like the Xander Willow thing. (laughs) Okay, yeah, that's fair. Hey, that's really fair because this episode is great. It's so good. Yes, it's really good. And it's so enjoyable. And I, I think this is one of those standalone episodes where... You can sit down, anybody who, even if they haven't watched Buffy before, and you can show them this episode, and obviously they're not going to appreciate everything that's happening in the episode, but because it's such a self-contained premise, they can enjoy it as an episode, and then maybe they want to get into Buffy and watch the whole thing and listen to Prophecy Girls. (laughs) Yeah, there's always something nice about an alternative reality episode. They do them in other shows too, and it's just fun to take characters and situations and like twist them and parallel them Mm -hmm. in a different world and you're just like wow what could have been what could have happened had this character not shown up or this character made a different choice i like it uh and it's actually when i was watching this episode because it's episode nine i was taken back to season two when remember we hit halloween and then it was like lie to me and dark age and what's my line and all those like really good episodes in a row And then we've hit that stride Mm -hmm. again in season three, because the first few episodes, while good in this season, they're aggravating and down, right? (laughs) And then we hit Homecoming and then Band Candy. And it was like, boom, boom, boom. And this is another really, really good one. So season three is like really, really good. And I also just think that season three, whatever your opinion of the story arc, it has some really strong standalone episodes Mm -hmm. like this one. And Mm -hmm. like a bunch of these episodes are so good independent of the ongoing story arc and like season two had its moments but most of the best episodes in season two were very much caught up in the story arc whereas something like the wish doesn't do a ton for the story arc but it is such a great episode and so i suppose we should get into it and continue our (laughs) praise as we go along yeah we're gonna have some really great discussions about this one i can tell so we start off surprisingly in a park in what appears to be the afternoon birds are chirping and then we pan over to a demon strangling Buffy against a tree and the demon's like dripping in water (laughs) and I will just say here that they never actually explain 
who this demon is. What is it doing? Were they at the park to find it? Did it just attack Buffy out of nowhere? I'm into it. I'm into it too, but I was like, you know, we spent all this time figuring out who Lagos was in the past episodes where this one is just out of the blue, like an alien wet monster. And Willow is frantically looking for a weapon as Xander stirs from the ground. Clearly this monster caught them by surprise. And Buffy is like shouting, nerf, nerf, because she's being choked. And Willow figures out that she means knife. She gives it to Buffy. Buffy stabs the demon. It dies. Like quick work over here. And Willow asks, why didn't it just go poof? And Buffy says, well, I guess these guys don't. And I guess we have to bury him. But then they just walk away from him. <laughs> they, don't, they don't do anything with it. <laughs> why did we open the yeah. episode this way? I mean, I think part of it is they're, they're trying to remind us, right, <laughs> that a lot of the slaying that Buffy does, we never see. She's not yeah. just slaying the stuff we see on screen. She's slaying 24-7, baby. <laughs> True. Um, and the other thing is the purpose of the scene, right, is for us to see that Buffy, Willow, and Xander are cool, the three of them, which might seem a little weird at first, right, because of what happened in the past episode. Buffy wasn't there for that, which must be really hard for her. Mm-hmm. And Willow and Xander, you know, they're sitting next to each other. Obviously, there's a little bit of awkwardness. We see that throughout the episode, but they're hanging out. Buffy's hanging out with them. So the three of them are at least fine. Um, that's not true for the extended Scoobies, but I think that's what this opening scene is meant to establish. So there's no doubt as we go into the main part of the episode, what the dynamic is here. Yeah, we're back to the original three and I have a lot to say about this dynamic actually. So, I mean, from here they talk a bit about Faith and how she's been a no-show lately and Buffy says she's worried about her because, you know, Slayton's a rough gig and there's too much time alone, isn't healthy for her, and stuff gets pent up. So Willow says that they should try to do more socializing with her. And then they never talk about her again in the episode. So I think they just, just like in the last episode, uh, Kara, you brought up, like, where was Faith in Lover's Walk? And just like in this episode, we're establishing she's not here either, but they're still acknowledging that she's part of this story and this season. So we're not going to see Faith this episode, but... And that's when Xander starts to stress that he doesn't have any plans that night. And Buffy asks about Cordelia. And Xander says that he's left Cordelia 60 or 70 messages. That's too many, Xander. Well, that was already too many, like stalking level at this point. But he says, do you know what really bugs me? Okay, we kissed. It was a mistake. And he's talking about him and Willow. But I know that was the last time we were ever going to kiss. And they just burst in, rescuing us without even knocking. I mean, this is really all their fault. And of course, Buffy calls him out and says, your logic does not resemble our Earth logic. Hey, Buffy. I'm glad that Buffy did it so that I didn't have to do it. And this is what we're talking about, right? Is Xander's bad behavior is slightly more tolerable when the show calls it out. Yes, but it's also intolerable when he's trying to gaslight the situation or to change it to be like, it's not my fault. Because a lot of this episode, Xander's like, "I'm this isn't my fault or I'm not going to feel bad about this anymore. It's been like a day, Xander. Right? And, and I, I think that it's interesting we see this uh, distinction between Xander and Willow and how they're dealing with their guilt. And as you just said, Xander is trying to gaslight and deflect his guilt. Willow is wallowing in her guilt. She's soaking in her guilt, Mm -hmm. which I think reflects their respective perspectives on the future of their relationships, right? I think Xander knows he's lost Cordelia and he's not going to get her back. And he's trying to like insulate himself from that pain. 
Whereas I think Willow desperately wants Oz back and wants to fix things. And that's why she's feeling her guilt and feeling that pain. Um, so I, I think this just kind of shows where these two characters are different in terms of how they're processing and what they think is going to happen with their relationships. As well as their empathy and their maturity levels. Because like you're saying, Willow is taking in this guilt and I have a lot more space for Willow in this episode because at least she's feeling bad. And I think she should feel worse for Cordelia than what she shows because most of her focus is on Oz. But at least she's showing that she understands what they did. Where Xander doesn't. And that's why I have no patience for him. So Willow's saying that at least tomorrow's Monday, you know. And Buffy's like, that's good. Focus on school. That's the strong Willow way to heal. Which is so true. And Willow says that she's actually hoping Oz will be there so she can beg for his forgiveness. And Buffy's like, yeah, that works too. And Willow says, I want to be strong Willow. But then I think I may never get to be close to Oz again. And it's like all the air just goes out of the room. So... Here's my question, and this is something I was asking myself through the first half of this episode. Willow and Xander, what was this? What was this weird attraction to each other? Was it just because you both were no longer available and that hot people were in love with you and that made each other seem more desirable? Because you're now single and you can be together, you know? like So it's like, did you never really want each other? that's not what either of them ever wanted. And that's annoying. (laughs) It's like, so you just tore up Oz and Cordelia's hearts. For nothing. And now Willow's like, oh, yes. I'll never see him again. I'll never see him again. So this is, I mean, I just said I gave Willow space, but not a lot of space because like this kind of talk <laughs> frustrates me. So a part of me is just like, Willow, are you actually wanting Oz back? Or are you missing the attention that Oz was giving you? Or will it just make you feel less guilty if he's talking to you again? There's a lot of things mixed up in her feelings here. I think, you, there, yeah, there's a lot of things. I think we can keep talking about that as, as we see certain other conversations mm-hmm. happening soon. Um, but for the most part, like, I think Willow genuinely does want Oz back. Yeah. Well... Buffy relates to this, of course, because Buffy's the queen of heartbreak. <laughs> and Xander says, hey, you went through it all with Angel and you're still standing. So tell us, wise one, how do you deal? And Buffy says, I have you guys. So I just want to point out, right, like nobody's asking her how she's dealing with being dumped by Scott Hope. Like, <laughs> that was more recent. Who? <laughs> um, right? Well, yeah. And also, like, uh, did, did she tell them that, like, her and Angel are not seeing each other right now? Did she say no. anything about that? She's te- keeping I think that to herself. up in the air still. Okay. It better be. I don't want it to be like over. Like, they had a little bit of an argument, right? But we don't know what's going to happen just yet. Ooh, so, this is when, and this is what's so sad. So, Buffy says, I have you guys. And we cut to Cordelia, who is doing what all girls do when they're upset they just cut up their old pictures and they make a a bonfire and they burn up that energy and that's good for her i I mean there are many times i would have liked to light xander on fire in these (laughs) series so this is the closest cordy i'm with you cordelia cordy live long my queen but she's not wearing her makeup she's obviously like very devastated she's at her home now so apparently that hole through her body is all healed up for the most part she can go back to school But I just want everyone to remember that when Buffy says, I have you guys, and we cut to Cordelia, the show is reminding us that, wow, it's so great that Xander and Willow can fuck up everybody's lives and still have each other. Cordelia doesn't have anybody. Cordelia lost Mm -hmm. all her friends. She lost her boyfriend. She ditched her other shallow friends last season. She's alone. But surely 
she can get her shallow friends back, right? She can just show up at school and slide right back into her mean girl life. If right? anyone can do it, it's Cordelia. So after credits, we go to school where Willow is purposefully waiting for Oz to show up so she can run into him at his locker. And Buffy is talking to her about it. And she asks if Xander has seen Cordelia yet. And Willow's like, no, uh, she is coming into school today. Amy saw her at the mall last night and she looked pretty scary. And that's when we cut to Cordelia, who is getting out of her convertible outside in the parking lot. And she looks fucking incredible. You know, we just cut away from her looking sad and ill almost in her bed, very upset. Here she is. She's got her burgundy leather outfit on. Her makeup is fire. Her hair's up in an awesome bun. Like, oh my God, Cordelia's about to have a hot girl summer. And you know when you have that post-breakup glow up where like you might feel like shit inside, but you look amazing? Like that's what she's encompassing I mean, right now. having never broken up with anybody, I... <laughs> <laughs> don't know about that but i'll take your word for it well i'm sure some of our listeners will know what i'm talking about yeah you feel the shittest you've never felt more sad in your life but break up diet break up new look break up glow up you look great so she comes to school and who approaches her harmony and her clique we haven't seen harmony all season i think i don't remember the last time we saw harmony uh, I'm surprised she didn't run for homecoming queen. <laughs> they approach her. They're like, oh my God, Cordelia, you look amazing. And they give kisses. And Harmony's introducing Cordelia to a new girl, Anya, who just moved here because her father bought a utility or something is what she says. Wow. There's Anya. Anya. We don't we don't know much about Anya from this episode, but like, this is Anya. She's I'm a big really deal. excited to She's see Anya. She's a big Anya. deal. Yeah. Um, we won't spoil it. I mean, yeah. I think in the intro episode, I said Anya was one of my favorites. Same. Yeah, Same. she's great. And and I, I love that this is how we meet her, her character. And then, you know, we don't know at the end of this episode what happens with her character. So when she does return, and we won't tell our, our first time listeners when... Um, it's it just, it's nice. Like it's, it's nice to see her come back later on, but for yeah. now in this episode, she's just delightful for being in this episode. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I have thoughts about like, you know, her appearance here later in the episode for sure. So Anya is complimenting Cordelia's Prada bag and her and Cordy seem to have like a little vibe going on here because Harmony is saying that she heard about the incident with Xander and she's like, this is really smart, Cordelia, the, the injury thing, take a week off and everyone will forget <laughs> about the temporary insanity that was Xander Harris. A week? Does a week heal a hole through your torso? <laughs> that's like that's like a year of physical therapy for sure. Come on. I mean, I don't know if it's a year, but I agree that a week's a little bit of a short amount of time here. We see throughout the episode that Cordelia is still weak and she has stitches and stuff. So I don't know. Maybe Cordelia's well-off parents were able to get some super treatment for her, <laughs> some stem cells or something. Also, how does everyone know? that Xander cheated. Did Oz go oh, and tell everybody? Sunny, Sunnydale is a small school, right? Like, I'm sure somebody told, you know, the the too helpful blabby doctor. Yeah, the chatty told doctor. Told everybody what happened. <laughs> and then somebody, somebody's mom who works at the hospital. And then, you know, it just, it worked its way through the, through the Sunnydale grapevine. The chatty doctor is like Sunnydale's gossip girl. And he's got a blog. And he's like, <laughs> you know, listen up, everybody. Cordy's in the hospital because Xander kissed Willow. <laughs> XOXO, chatty doc. <laughs> so good. <laughs> 
That means he's jacked in. So I think Chatty Doctor praises Moloch. Chatty Doctor is 100% a Moloch follower, just like us. <laughs> praise, praise, praise. Um, so yeah, they're saying, you know, you're getting over Xander. And Cordelia is like, Xander who? And they all laugh. And they don't realize that they should be saying Scott who, because that's what we've been saying for weeks. So here's where I point out that there is a Asian girl in the clique. I thought you might do that, yes. <laughs> it's very important to me. This is really nice representation. And isn't it so funny that, like, I remembered this girl very clearly from my past watches of the show because there's so few Asian characters mm-hmm. that get lines in this show. I believe the last one that got a line was in uh, Innocence when the guy's like, should I get the principal? <laughs> so we have we have um, a woman, a Korean actress named Nicole Bilderback, you might know her from such films as Bring It On, or she also guest starred on Dawson's Creek. But anyway, I just needed to point this out because it was a big deal to me when I was younger to be like, oh my God, there's an Asian character. Wasn't Eliza Dishku also in Bring It On? Yeah, she was. Yep, yep. These are classic 90s movies that we all need to know about. Uh, and you know what else came out in the 90s? A Walk to Remember starring Shane West. <laughs> just a call back to Go Fish. We have to have at least one an episode. Uh, so anyway, they're saying that Cordelia needs to start dating again. She needs to get back on that horse. And Cordelia is like, hey, I'm ready to ride. <laughs> so Harmony's like, she has just the stallion. He's so you. And then she points at Jonathan, little guy Jonathan, who's sipping on the largest drink that I've ever seen, like an American-sized big gulp. And they're all laughing. And Harmony's like, I'm pretty sure he won't cheat on you, at least not for a while. So they all laugh and walk away. Notice that Anya does not laugh. And Jonathan and Cordelia look really sad (laughs) because they were bullied. So this is something that we're learning from the scene here is that Cordelia, she's come a really long way from being with the Scoobies and fighting evil and falling in love with Xander. But now that she's no longer in the Scooby gang, she doesn't want to be, she's reverting back to who she was before she was hanging out with them. And she's trying to, but she just does not fit in anymore and they're not going to accept her. So Cordelia is in free fall right now. And Mm. then we cut, oh, this scene, this scene. We cut to Oz, who has finally gone to his locker and Willow was stalking him there and she approaches him. And Willow says, look at us running into each other as two people who go to the same school are likely to do now and then. Like, she's just rambling. Smooth, Willow. I know. And Oz is like, hey, and goes to walk away. And Willow grabs his arm and says, Oz, wait, what I did when I think that I hurt you. And Oz says, yeah, you said all this stuff already. And Willow says, I want to make it up to you. If you let me, I want to try. And Oz says, you can leave me alone. I need to figure things out. And Willow says, well, maybe if we talk about it, we could. And then Oz just like cuts her off. And he's like, look, I'm sorry, this is hard for you. But I told you what I need. So I can't help feeling like the reason you want to talk is so you can feel better about yourself. That's not my problem. And he walks away. Yes, 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 yes. You can see here in my notes, Cara, that I wrote a lot of yeses. But I also wrote, let's not coddle Willow, right? Hold yeah. this bitch accountable for what she did. And Oz is doing that. He's doing that. And I love that for him. And I, I, here's where I made the space for Willow because it annoyed me that obviously they already talked about this and Oz said, I want space. And she's having a hard time giving him the space because she feels so guilty. 
I get that. That's an experience. That's Willow dealing with guilt that she's never had to deal with before. She's like you said in the last episode, she's a good girl and she's not used to being in trouble. So she's trying to make it better. Mm -hmm. And she's breaching on the boundary that Oz set up for them, which is no good. But I do understand where she's coming from. I'm just so happy that Oz put her in her place. Like, Willow, you did bad and you should feel bad. And that's not going to go away within a conversation. So give him space. You know? I agree. <laughs> More hallway scenes. Uh, Cordelia and Xander are walking toward each other down the hall. And Cordelia quickly grabs a guy named John Lee, <laughs> who is 35 years old. And she directs him. Is, is he seriously? <laughs> Just look at him. I don't know. <laughs> He's got like a receding hairline. Come did on. <laughs> did you look up the actor's age or? I didn't know. I just, I'm guessing he's 35 oh, years okay. old. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I thought you'd looked it up or something. Yeah, I agree. He does look older. Yes. <laughs> so Cordelia basically directs him in front of her so that his back is to Xander. And it looks like they might be kissing because she says, do I have something caught in my teeth? And she opens her mouth and like moves it around in front of his face. And the audacity of Xander Harris, because he looks really upset and pissed off by this and turns down a different hallway. And I was like, uh, Xander, you do not get to look wounded right now. The fact that this hurt your feelings, that's the point. All right. You need to show hurt in some way. Oh. So once he's gone, Cordelia tries to start small talk with John Lee, who basically says he cannot be caught with Xander Harris's cast off. But Ooh. if they want to go someplace private, he would be okay with that. <sighs> what a what a gent. <laughs> oh. So he leaves and Cordelia turns around and ugh, worst day ever. And she runs into Anya, who Cordelia thinks is there to bully her. So she's just like, go ahead, dazzle me with your brilliant insult. Just join the club, right? She's had enough. And Anya says, you know, hardly. I've been looking for you, actually. Ever since we met this morning, I was like, thank God there's one person in this town who actually reads W. Cordelia is like, well, what about Harmony? And Anya just says, she follows me around. And if that girl had an original thought, her head would explode. <laughs> so Cordelia automatically trusts her. And she asks about the necklace around Anya's neck. And she's like, is that Gucci? And Anya says it's an actual, it's actually an old thing. It's sort of like a good luck charm that her dad gave her. And Cordelia is like, oh, too bad I didn't have one of those pre-Xander. Anya says, can I just say men <laughs> like, apart from being without class the guy's obviously blind deserves whatever he gets and i was like yes this is the kind of post breakup girl talk we need and cordelia <laughs> says she's not thinking about him i am past it i'm living my life that's a lie yeah well she's she's doing her best anyway and anya says don't you kind of wish dot 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 and cordelia's like i don't wish i act <laughs> starting now xander harris is going to get a belly full of just how over him i am and what does being over xander mean i guess it means go to the bronze <laughs> cut to the bronze so at this point i, I do want to say like for those of us who are watching this episode having already seen it at least once these early scenes get funnier when you know what's going to happen right it's so, like mm -hmm. we know at this point that Anya is trying to goad Cordy into wishing. So the fact that Cordelia is so oblivious <laughs> in her girl power moment, yeah. and you can see that frustration on Anya's face, and when you're watching it for the first time, you don't necessarily see why she's frustrated. But now that we know what's going on in the episode, it's like, I, I love that foreshadowing of like, well, Anya wanted this all along. Yeah. 
Exactly. Hey, Anya followed, went with Cordelia to the bronze. So she's been working this job uh, all off into the night because they're there standing at a table talking to boys. Buffy, Willow, and Xander are sitting on a couch nearby. And Cordy keeps glancing at Xander and, you know, pretending she's having a great time. Xander is watching Cordy and he's trying to pretend he's having a good time by forcing laughter. And he gets mad that Buffy and Willow aren't joining. And Buffy says, I'm here for you, Xander. I'm supporto gal. But I just feel weird about us against Cordelia because she had a rough time. And I was like, that's great. You know, yep. Talk about Cordelia being hurt. This is really great. But why is no one giving Xander shit about cheating? Like, I would be like, yeah, Xander, I support you. But like, you fucked up and you hurt her feelings. But instead, she's just saying Cordelia's hurt. Mm-hmm. She's, she's going a little soft on Xander here. Willow says... It's true. <laughs> Cordelia b- belongs to the justified camp. She should make us pay and pay and pay and pay. So here's where I, I was like, okay, Willow, yes. Like Willow is showing some compassion toward Cordy and she agrees. Like, no, Cordy has every right to be pissed. Cordy has every right to be hurt. And we should pay for that. That's our fault. And it is your fault. So Xander says, look, you want to do the guilt of Palooza? Fine, but I'm done with it. Starting this minute, I'm going to grab a hold of this crazy little thing called life and let it do its magical little Healy thing. What's done is done. Let's be in the moment beyond the beauty that is now. Who's with me? And <laughs> the girls enable Xander's outrage that he should feel bad about cheating on his girlfriend and then letting her get impaled. Like the girls enable it by Buffy's like, you know what? Yeah, like, that makes sense. We're free and young and in America. <laughs> and how dare we be spun by love or the lack of some. And Willow's like, yeah. it's self-indulgent. I'm on the joy train. Like, ooh. I agree. That felt weird when Buffy said that and she didn't push back. Right. I just, yes, yeah, support your friends, but don't enable his outrage that he's like, I don't need to feel bad anymore. It's like, it's been like five days. Feel bad, you know? So anyway, they all pretend that they're feeling better, but they clearly are not. So Buffy says, well, that didn't work. Who wants chocolate? Let's eat our feelings. Like this is the right way to do it. So Buffy gets up to go order from that mysterious menu at the bronze, which we haven't seen since season two, I think. Well, she's going to get like one of those weird muffins. On a plate. (laughs) Or she's like, I'm going to go get some candy. She said, I'm going to get chocolate. So automatically I was like, she's getting banned candy because... (laughs) <laughs> They're probably selling oh, it at the front. Can you imagine if they just licensed that and we're still selling it? Well, it didn't have any effect on the teens. And this is a teen club again. So they're like, sure, why don't we just sell it? Who cares? So Willow and Xander are left on the couch together. And Xander's watching Cordelia. And this made me angry because he's like, look at that. Tears of a clown, baby. Or is it grins of a sad person? Like, Xander, you broke her heart. And you're the reason there's a hole in her heart, metaphorically. And a literal hole through her body. So fuck you. And when he's talking, he puts his hand on Willow's knee. And Will stops him. He says, why? We always touch digits. It's a friend thing. Comfort. Like chocolate. And Willow says, it used to be. But since we did, you know, what we did, it's different. I'm sorry. But if I want to make things right with Oz, my hands, all my stuff has to be for him only. And I was like, oh, like, if only you could have realized this before you cheated on him, you know? <laughs> but I'm glad she learned the lesson. I know I'm, I'm being really hard on these two right now. But like, I just like, ooh, my my people are hurting. <laughs> Xander just takes this in and sits silently. And as she's waiting in line for her muffin on a plate, Buffy sees Cordy say goodbye to Anya and leave. So 
Buffy follows her out and Cordelia's like, oh, did Xander send you to to beg for me? Because if he did, and Buffy says, hey, I'm a free agent, I promise. I just wanted to see how you are. I think this is really interesting, you know, because we haven't seen Buffy and Cordelia interact one-on-one that much other than a lot of like sniping at each other and and banter. Uh, I think the closest we got was homecoming, right? So this is showing us how Despite not being super close friends, Buffy is trying to be a friend to Cordelia in this moment, Mm -hmm. which I I just, I think that's interesting. Yeah, I think it's really nice of her. And like, again, Buffy's a compassionate person. And she was in the right earlier where she's like, hey, let's not fucking bash on Cordelia. She's hurting. So she's checking up on her. And uh, Buffy says, I know what it's like to be hurt by someone, hurt so much that you don't think you're going to make it. But I told my friends how I felt. And you know what? It got a little better. Damn you, Scott Hope, for breaking Buffy's heart like that. I know. She she can't get over Scott for some reason. Like, you know what, Buffy? I know it was a really intense love affair. (laughs) But we got to move on, you know? (laughs) So, again, like, Cordelia looks like she's about to respond to that, like, you know, in a nice way. But that's when... A vampire jumps out of nowhere for no reason and attacks Buffy. And again, these vampires just wait for the perfect moment to strike. And Buffy fights him and stakes him. But while they're fighting, Cordelia gets knocked into the garbage nearby. And when she gets up, she's covered in trash. And that's, of course, when Harmony and her clique walk by and laugh at her. So uh, like the the end of a, of a really terrible day, Cordelia looks at Buffy and she says, You know what I've been asking myself all week? Why me? Why do I get impaled? Why do I get bitten by snakes? Or why do I fall for incredible losers? And you know what I finally figured out what my problem is? It's, and then dot, 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 we cut to school the next day on campus and Cordelia's talking to Anya and she's saying, Buffy Summers, that's when all my problems started, when she moved here. Cordelia's holding her torso as she speaks. And Cordy says that she pulled some stitches last night. And she's like, you know why? Surprise, it was Buffy's fault. And we look over, Buffy, Xander, and Willow are sitting near nearby at the stairs. And Harmony and her clique walk by and they call her a garbage girl, you know, like dumpster chic, ha ha ha, and they keep walking. And... Anya takes off her necklace and she puts it around Cordelia's neck. And she's like, you need this more than I do right now. And Cordelia says, yeah, she could use some luck. Anya's trying to turn the combo back onto Xander. And she's like, Xander is an utter loser. Don't you wish? And Cordelia's like, I never would have looked twice at Xander if Buffy hadn't made him look marginally cooler by hanging out with him. So, I, I mean, Cordelia's not wrong at this point, right? <laughs> like, mm. I'm not going to say Buffy caused all of her problems, but... Buffy's presence has certainly complicated her life. But here's my question. This is mostly a rhetorical question. You can answer it if you want. Has it not also made Cordelia's life better? Yes. (laughs) Is she not a richer person for having seen what the Scoobies go through and fought evil alongside them? She's no longer the shallow bully that she was in season one. She's seen so much growth. So Cordelia... Maybe you should be remembering that. I know. It's hard for her to see that in herself right now. She's hurting, you know? Like, she's heartbroken. And that's why she's lashing out like this. And that's when Cordelia finally says, I wish Buffy Summers had never come to Sunnydale. And suddenly, Anya turns around, and she's no longer pretty face Anya, who also, I'm going to add, looks like she's 30 years old. But she turns around, (laughs) and she's all veiny. And she's like, done. (laughs) And there's a big white flash and Cordelia standing on campus by herself. And she's like, Anya? 
And the campus is completely empty. It's There's litter everywhere. It looks like a different day almost. And she holds her torso, which makes me think that maybe there's no more hole there. And then she touches her necklace and she looks at the stairs where Buffy, Xander, Willow were sitting before and are no longer there. And she says, I wish Buffy Summers had never come to Sunnydale. She was like a good fairy, a scary, veiny, good fairy. <laughs> so she smiles and she walks inside and like, lo and behold, Cordelia is the queen bee again. She runs into Harmy and her clique who are all wearing earth tones and browns and really dark colors. But Cordelia is wearing a really bright blue dress and Harmony comes up to Cordelia and she's like, where have you been? And they start gossiping and the girls are like, we love your dress. It's so daring. And uh, <laughs> old man John Lee comes up to Cordelia and it says, if you're not going to the winter brunch with anyone, I'd be honored. I just, I just Googled uh, Emma Caulfield, who plays Anya, was 26 <laughs> when this episode was being recorded. So I'm not. Uh, so she's younger than Charisma Carpenter, who would have been 29 at this time. Damn! Cordy was 29 here? She looks amazing. Not that you're not like 29 <laughs> looks bad or anything, but like she's pulling off like, you know, 19, 20 year old to me. So Cordy is rolling with the punches and she's just like, I'll get back to you. And then she goes to her friends and they're all like, Cordy, you rain. And she's like, I do? I mean, I do. What's with the winter brunch thing? So already we're seeing a couple differences here, right? So there's a lot less students in the hallways. Uh, everyone's wearing really dark colors except for Cordelia. Mm -hmm. A winter brunch, not a winter dinner or a winter dance. And if you mm -hmm. notice, like in this scene, there's garlic hanging on the wall. And there's crosses and stuff. Yeah, so something I really enjoy about this episode is how the set dressing can be very subtle at times. Mm -hmm. But it just, it indicates the differences between this version of Sunnydale and the one that we're used to. Yeah. So we cut to class. Um, Cordelia is sitting there with her friends, but most of the seats are empty. And the bell rings and the teacher starts frantically packing up all his stuff. And he's saying, don't forget, tomorrow we have a month, our monthly memorial. So there's no class. And everybody's hurrying out the door. And Cordelia says, what is the rush? And Harmony says, well, you know, my mom hates it when I'm late. And Cordy says, well, aren't we going out tonight? And one of the girls is like, well, curfew starts in an hour. And Cordelia's like, come on, I'm in a really good mood. Let's go to the bronze. And the girls all look at her like she's uh, like, they're like, what did you just say? And they ask if that was a joke. And Cordelia's like, oh, is the bronze not cool in this reality? I've got to make these little adjustments. <laughs> Cordelia, the bronze isn't cool in any reality. <laughs> Harmony says, um, Cordy, what's with you? And all the other girls leave. And Harmony's saying, you wear this come bite me outfit. You make jokes about the bronze and you're acting a little schizo. And of course, we're, we don't like that comment. Um, but I will point out here, like the different characterization of Harmony in this new world as well. Like she's not quite yeah. as ditzy. Like I would say she's more serious, if anything. I also like the phrase come bite me outfit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Cordelia says that she bumped her head and she's forgetting stuff. And then she's like, not that I care, but Xander Harris, he's miserable, right? And that Willow freak he hangs out with, not even a blip on the radar screen. And Harmony says, well, yeah, they're dead. So Harmony Oops. scoffs and turns away and Cordy looks really concerned and confused. Ooh, they're dead. So we cut to the parking lot. This is a really great shot because 
the camera's really far off so you can see the whole parking lot and Cordelia's walking out there it's empty and she's looking for her car and she asks a custodian where it is and the and the custodian says you know students aren't allowed to drive so go on miss like you better get inside before the sun sets so this is the one thing about this episode I don't understand why can't students drive see I always assumed it's because the parents are afraid that the students, you know, if they drive, they have enough independence, they might like stay out too late. Mm. So it's all about kind of like exercising that control of like, okay, you're going to go to school, and then you know, go right home. Okay, that makes sense. Because uh, I'm almost like it'd be safer and faster to get home in the car. But you know what, I like the way that you phrase that. So Cordelia is walking down the streets of Sunnydale alone at night in the movie theater area and people are locking up their doors with like gates and like it's pretty abandoned and she runs right into a pale leather wearing Xander. Xander's just like, what do you know? Cordelia Chase. And Cordelia's like, what is this? Some kind of joke? Harmony told me you were dead. And he says, why would she say something like that? Let me think. And Cordelia starts saying, like, listen to me, we have to find Buffy. She'll figure out a way to save us. She was supposed to be here. And as much as it kills me to admit it, things were better when she was around. And Xander's like, Buffy the Slayer? And Cordelia's like, no, Buffy the dog-faced girl. <laughs> do you, she's like, do you, duh, who do you think I'm talking about? And then we hear from the background, we hear, bored now. And Willow comes out of the darkness and she's also super pale and her hair straightened and she's wearing this leather corset outfit. And she says, this is the part that's less fun when there isn't any screaming. And Willow touches Xander and she says, play now. And Xander's like, it's not that I don't appreciate your appetite, Will, but I thought we agreed it was my turn. And they start caressing each other. And Cordelia says, no way. I wish us into Bizarro Land and you guys are still together. I cannot win. <laughs> I, I like that comment because, A, it shows, you know, Cordelia's feelings for Xander. And B, I think, I think this is really the moment where Cordelia accepts that she's in this different universe, right? Because up until now, everything has been strange, but nothing has been completely outside the realm of like oh somebody's doing a practical joke or i hit my head or something but now now she's like oh my god what the fuck is going on yeah exactly and especially when xander vams out right here and he's a vampire and so is willow and he says probably not but i'll give you a head start so cordelia gasps and she starts to run away willow and xander kiss and with lots of tongue and then xander runs after cordelia and as he catches up to her, he throws her to the ground, which knocks her out. But that's when Oz's van pulls up and Xander and Willow step back and he says, oh, swell, it's the White Hats. And out of the car comes Giles with a cross, Larry, Oz and another woman. And they grab Cordelia's body and drive away. So cut to the library. Cordelia's passed out on the table and Giles is checking her pulse. The girl is saying, what was she doing wearing that? Everyone knows that vampires are attracted to bright colors. And I was like, is this true? Have we ever heard this before? I don't think we have. No, that got me too. And I'm, but I'm thinking like, if Giles is the only one there who knows anything about vampires, right? Maybe they're just not as aware of the vampire lore. Um, and maybe there was this misconception that came up. I, I don't know. Yeah. But I, I see what you mean there. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Giles sends Larry and Oz to watch the perimeter in case they're followed. 
and I, my question here was just like, why did you go to the library? Go inside to a home where the vampires can't enter. That's that's a good question. Yeah. Um, and and here I was thinking during the episode, like, like nobody's safe in Sunnydale because once you know the vampires are there, they have no reason to be sneaky anymore. So yes, they can't come into your home, but that's not going to stop them from lighting your home on fire. Mm-hmm. Also, like, just move out of Sunnydale, everybody. Just leave. But cut to the bronze, which is now a lot like the fish tank. Remember the fish tank? <laughs> we never actually got to see inside the fish tank, but it's described this way. <laughs> I love this scene so much because, you know, we see Willow and Xander coming inside and they tour slowly through the bronze. We see there's humans in cages uh, suspended off the ground and they're being kept as like this common feeding source so bronze is vampire heaven and they xander and willow go into the back room of the bronze and who is there but the special guest star of this episode none other than mark metcalf himself the master (gasps) give it up for the master there he is he's back because in this universe right buffy never came to sunnydale so he freed himself he got free of his supernatural prison that he was trapped in in season one and Again, I just I love how the writers they sat down when they broke this story. They said, "Well, what's going to happen if Buffy's not here?" And of course, the very first thing is the master must be free. So he's there. Uh, he's best buds with Xander and Willow. No sign of Darla, so not sure what's up with her. Maybe Angel managed yeah. to kill her. Don't know. Maybe they couldn't afford Julie Benz. Yeah, yeah. Darla should be here. But uh, Xander and Willow, they've risen high in the Master's organization. Maybe they killed the three for him. Or, <laughs> you know. Kate, you know what, though? It makes a lot of sense that Xander and Willow are vampires because in this scenario, clearly the Master would have risen during the harvest in the second episode of season one. Yes. And they would have been at the bronze and they would have been, you know, fed to um, Luke at that time. And Jesse would have been long gone, too. So Jesse should actually also be here. Yeah, I mean, maybe Jesse just got killed, right? Like not all the vampire, not all the uh, people who were fed on would have been turned into vampires. Yeah, true. Um, So anyway, they have a conversation with the master. He's like... He, he's in the middle of a, he, like he's about to feed on somebody and he asks them like, oh, are you hungry? He's like, I just lost my appetite. And Willow, because, you know, she was denied the fresh Cordy kill. Uh, she takes this person from the master and we get to see Willow vamp out now, which is very disturbing because mm-hmm. she's such a good girl. Like when Xander vamped out, I was just like, whatever. You suck anyway, Xander. Hyena all over again, you know. <laughs> Evil Willow is, you know, like... We're into it, but it's also just so disturbing. It's something new. We haven't seen Willow be like this before. And, and I'm sure that all of these actors, especially Alison Hannigan, had a lot of fun uh, in their roles here. So we get to watch Willow feed on an innocent person. And the master, you know, he's kind of getting some gratification watching this. He's like, oh, to be young again and feel the thrill of the hunt and the feed and stuff. And I'm just like, all right, down boy. All right. There he is. There's the guy we all know and love. So meanwhile, Xander fills them in on what they were getting up to. And Xander says, oh, I, I had a prime kill. She was an old crush. And I will say, I don't like the way Xander Vampire talks in this episode because I think he's trying to sound cool, but he just sounds like even more of a dick than he 
usually would be. It, yeah, it's more corny. It comes like Willow. I think I think yeah. Allison Hannigan is selling her character. Um, Xander, not yes. so much. It's just a little too corny. For yeah, me. like later on when he says, "Oh, I just want to watch you walk." Like, I just want to watch you, baby. I'm just like barfing yeah. in my mouth, and it's also just like he's I not. Like he's it. not selling me on this. He's no. not. Nicholas Brendan is not getting that sexiness across that he needs to get. Yeah. I mean, the leather jacket can't do it on its own, you know, Xander. Like, you have to also sell it. <laughs> you know, Xander calls Giles a wanna slay librarian and, and blames Giles's appearance for the reason he couldn't seal the deal with Cordelia. Mm. What was your excuse in the other universe, Xander? <laughs> <laughs> nice, nice, nice. And uh, <laughs> so the master's like, this isn't important. He'll be dealt with soon enough. Nothing is going to delay the opening of my factory. Um, so the master has plans, which we we know this, right? Like from season one, the master has always been about his evil plans. And I respect that. So then Xander makes the mistake of telling the master, oh, yeah, by the way, this girl I would have killed. She kept talking about Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Do you know anything about that? And the master's like, what? What did you just say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the mood changes because then he's like, Buffy, no, that's like, that's a no. Nothing can interfere with my evil plan. Buffy should not be here. So he's like, go find this girl who knows about Buffy and make sure she can't go spread, you know, spread hope, spread the word. I don't know. Yeah. Like, I would, I would say bring her back so I could interrogate her. But we already know the master does not have the best management strategies. <laughs> and that's why he failed the first time. Yeah. So. He's like, just, I don't want to know about it. I don't want to see it. Just take care of it. I don't want to hear about it. That's that's his management style right now. <laughs> yeah. And he says that if they fail him, uh, he'll see the two of them kissing daylight, which I think is a delightful expression for murdering vampires. Mm, what a threat. Um, right? I mean, we also know you're not going to make good on it. You're just going to like forgive them or something. <laughs> Come on, master. So we cut back to the library and Cordelia, apparently they just left her lying on that wooden table all night. Like, yeah. Or not even all night. I guess it's just been a couple of hours. It's still the same night. But it's just like, that's really uncomfortable. Couldn't you lie her somewhere like a couch? Give her a pillow. Give her like a jacket under her head or something, you know? It's funny, though, because when she wakes up, she starts freaking out. Giles is there and she's saying, like, I made this stupid wish. You have to get Buffy. Buffy changes it. It wasn't like this. It was better. I. And she's like, it was better. I mean, the clothes alone <laughs> like were better. <laughs> But people were happy. Mostly. I love Cordelia's priorities. <laughs> I love that Cordelia's babbling, which is fair. You know, she's been through lots of trauma recently. She's yeah. not being very clear. Here is my question for you, Stephanie. Yeah. Imagine that you are Giles in this situation. So you, all you know is this different version of Sunnydale. No Buffy, master walking free, dystopian world. Mm. That's what you know. And then this girl you don't know or you've only seen her around the high school shows up and starts babbling at you about how nothing is the way it should be. Um, and she knows things she's, she shouldn't otherwise know. So, like, maybe she's on to something. But how would you react to that? Well, I, I don't know how I would react. I'd be like, this bitch is babbling. Like, I don't know what she's saying. But what I like about Giles a lot in this episode is that he is hopeful. Right? He's the source of hope. Right. And and that's kind of what I'm getting at, right? Mm -hmm. Is it's like, where is that coming from? Because if somebody came up to me and told me the world could be a better place, you just have to help me erase this timeline that you're currently in. And then you're never going to remember that you did that. And so you just have to trust me that if you help me change this, the world will be better off for it. 
That's a big ask. It is. It. I mean, it goes to show how dire this reality is for Giles to just be like, oh mm. my God, let's just do it because fu- like, everything else is fucked. <laughs> so let's just do this. Let's just do it. You know? Cordelia brings up that, she, you know, you were her watcher. You were Buffy's watcher. And Giles is shocked because he's never told anybody that. And that's when suddenly Giles hears a noise and he goes into the cage to get weapons. But when he turns around, Willow the vampire is there to slam the cage shut. And you know that nothing breaks out of that cage. And Xander <laughs> grabs Cordelia from behind. And Xander says, so you're a watcher, huh? Watch this. And he bites Cordelia and he starts to drink from her. It's so sexual, you know, because it's Willow and Xander. They were kissing earlier and now they're feeding. And we've talked before on this show about how the whole vampire thing is a metaphor for lust and sex and desire. And they're feeding together on Cordelia, who in this timeline, right, all she ever was to them was a bully. So there's this catharsis for them in this moment of we're feeding on our former bully, the tables have turned, there's power here. Honestly, as I was watching it this time around, I'm like, wow, like, this is really fucked up. And and there's a part of me that's like, how did they get this into the episode? If I were watching this, I would have been like, no, like, you can't do that. Like, or like the network, like it just, it feels so wrong. There's, yeah, there's so many parallels here, right? Like you just said, in their reality, Xander and Willow are taking justice on a bully. But in Cordelia's mind, these two people fucking broke my heart and cheated on me and here they are killing me, right? And then on the Mm. other hand, when you bring up that sexual element to it, for sure, the fact that Xander grabs Willow's head as they're both drinking from Cordelia, like, that's sexual. That's super fucking sexual. And it's almost like a three-way at this point, but it's like death and blood and vampire. It's like, there's a lot. So you're right. Like, I know this This is a show for teens, but, you know, the show has been very careful up until this point. It, and it's always been the vampire characters who've come close to the line, but it's it's been so careful as a network TV show. And to me, I feel like this is crossing a line that I wouldn't have expected the network to let them to cross. But I'm here for it. Imagine if like we had seen Angel, Drusilla, and Spike in a scene like this, like last year, but we didn't. But we get to see Cordelia, Willow, and Xander do it. It's like some weird perverted fan fiction going on here. Oh, this is so sad, though, because they kill her. They kill Cordelia. Cordelia's dead. And they leave Giles alive. They leave Giles alive and they throw her down and Giles can't do anything about it and they leave. So Giles does manage to open the cage by just using an axe. He opens the cage door because this cage can contain literally nothing. <laughs> literally nothing. <laughs> can't even contain a piece of paper. Come on. There's a window in there too, Giles. You could have just went out the window because we know there's a window <laughs> that even a werewolf can open. So anyway, Giles manages to open the door and he goes to check on Cordelia as Oz and Larry run in and they say that Nancy, the other girl, is dead. And Cordelia is dead too. So Giles says, bring Cordelia to the incinerator and he has other business to attend to. So it's really fucked up that they're they're all just used to incinerating dead bodies, right? All the time, yeah. And it's so sad to see Cordelia dead. And honestly, it, it actually is like shocking to me. It, it's sad, but yeah. it's also brilliant. Yes. Like we were set up for this to be a Cordy episode. Yes. And it is for half of the episode. And then suddenly they kill her off, which... Sucks to be killed off on your first day in a new universe. But, you know, I love it because we wouldn't have seen this coming, right? If this is our first time watching the episode, as far as we're concerned, Cordy and Giles are going to team up and find a way to change things back. Nope. 
Cordy's getting killed off so that we can shift the protagonist's perspective to Giles. Mm -hmm. And I love it. And it's a very efficient storytelling device because with Cordelia gone, you bring Buffy in and now you have Buffy and Giles in these two hand scenes. Cordelia at this point would just have been an extraneous character, unfortunately. Sorry to say that. No, it's true. This is why I love this episode so much is because it's not just the premise. The premise is great, but the execution is just so finely tuned. I agree. And I I think it's also interesting because... Cordelia, now that she's dead, well, she was the one who made the wish, so we're fucked, (laughs) you know? So we have to leave it up to Giles to figure shit out. So at the bronze, the master has figured out how to make blood espressos. (laughs) He's got an espresso machine that, like, makes hot blood for him. What a genius. And uh, Willow and Xander come in, say the girl's killed, they did the job. Um, The master's really happy, so Willow says, if you're happy, can I play with the puppy? And Master says, be my guest. The puppy, a little Great Dane puppy in there. It's so cute. So Giles is on the phone with someone and he's saying, it's imperative that I see her. You are her watcher. I expect her to at least check in. I know there's a great deal of demonic activity in Cleveland. (laughs) I was like, why (laughs) Cleveland? Um, But it happens that Sunnydale's in a hellmouth. If you could just give her a message if you ever see her again. And he hangs up. So clearly Giles is trying to find Buffy. So... It's daytime at the bronze and Willow is saying, you know, bored now. And she's in the basement and there's a cage there. and There's a man lying in the cage and she's saying, oh, daytime is the worst. Cooped up for hours. Can't hunt. But the master said I could play. Isn't that fun, puppy? So she opens the cage door and <laughs> she's like, puppy's being all quiet. And then she goes down and lifts up the man's head and it's Angel. <laughs> It's our angel boy. Dun, dun, dun. Oh, my God. And she she says um, the plant opens today. There's a big party. She licks his face, that lucky bitch. And oh then she remembers. <laughs> she Then she says, you remember what I told you about the plant? All those people you tried to save? It's going to be quick for them. Not for you, though. It's going to be slow for you. So she straddles him. <laughs> why does Why all of a sudden Willow gets... The best scene in this show, in this episode. Will straddles him <laughs> and he's on his back and she rips open his shirt and she's like, I'm going to make you scream. <laughs> whoa, whoa, I need to take a break. This, this is a heavy scene again. Yes. It's very sexual. This is what you're saying. Very like, disturbing. Oof, sexual, sexual. But also, um, you know, this whole like demons are like, you know, a, a metaphor for sexual nature of people and they demonize sex a lot on this show, right? Like, this made it more clear to me than ever. Mm-hmm. Watching Willow and Xander be this, like, oversexed, kinky couple who are like, I like all your parts. And like, oh, I felt dirty. Like, oh, you know my God. I, mean? I don't want to hear that phrase ever again. <laughs> so that's, that's what I'm saying. So, like, they're so over-sexualized and sexually aggressive that they're just like demons are sexual. Therefore, sex equals evil. Therefore, we know automatically that willow and oz uh, sorry that willow and xander are different because they're overtly sexual right away as soon as we see them they are can you imagine oz is a vampire oh that'd be so interesting imagine he was like super chatty (laughs) in our timeline i don't think he can become a vampire because he's a werewolf now so he can't be cursed twice i don't know the rules yeah i don't think he can become a vampire but he may not be a werewolf in this timeline right because he became a werewolf sometime during season two when he got bit by his cousin 
So, you know, if he never went away because things were bad in Sunnydale or whatever, if he never saw his cousin, never got bit, yeah. he might be a pure human in this timeline. Interesting. Yeah, for sure. I agree with you. So anyway, Xander comes in, he lights a match and throws it on Angel's chest, who screams. And, you know, Willow has his shirt open and says, I went too hard on you last time. Then she asks if uh, if Xander's going to join her. And he's like, no, thanks, baby. I just want to watch you go. And it's just so bad. Like, <laughs> Willow is disturbing. Allison Hannigan is nailing it. Nicholas Brendan is chewing the scenery. <laughs> Yeah, and it, like it's just everyone just drink it in. Like this is a very, very sexual scene. Vampires like sex. Bad people like sex. Demons like sex. And leather. And leather so much. Cut to the library. Giles is showing Oz and Larry a book that has an image of a necklace that Cordelia was wearing. I'm really impressed he did that without Willow to back him up on the research angle. And like, good job, Giles. You're always finding the images of exactly what's in front of us. Like. I don't know who's going through and, like, sketching this necklace. Yeah. Like, how did they get it away from Anyanka long enough to sketch it? Like, Yeah, seriously. Um, or maybe Anyanka just, like, every every demon is is mandatory to fill out a textbook about yourself before <laughs> demon, you go off into Demon registration. <laughs> she, she wrote her own Wikipedia page. You're not supposed to do that, but she did. She did it anyway. She's a modern girl. Um, yeah, so, yeah. It, hey, this is the picture. It's a symbol of Anyanka. Anyanka is the patron saint of scorned women. What a title. And she grants wishes. <laughs> and Oz says, so Cordelia wished for something? If it was a long, healthy life, she should get her money back. Oh, we missed that from Oz. <laughs> so good. And Giles says that she said something about everything being different. The world wasn't supposed to be like this. It was better before. And Larry says the entire world sucks because some dead dits made a wish. I just want to be clear. And I was like, ah, Larry, you never change. No matter what reality you're in, you just say what's on I your mind. I wonder if he got to come out as gay in this reality. Probably not. Probably if he, I, I bet though, if he turned into a vampire, he would be gay right away and super sexual about it oh uh, i hope that i want that I for want him that not for the vampire part but we want that for larry for sure giles says that she said the slayer was supposed to be here already and oz is like yeah that certainly would have helped so giles says he's gonna go back and research on yanka more um he's got more volumes at his own home so he tells the others to leave on the road giles is driving the same car that he has in, in our reality i'll add and um, he hears a woman screaming and there's a bunch of vampires shoving humans into a van. So Giles stops because Giles is a goddamn hero. So he stops to help and he takes out his cross and he pushes the vampires back. and He tells the people to run. And as the vampires have Giles on the ground, they start getting thrown around and we hear staking noises. And who is standing above Giles? It's Buffy Summers, the Vampire Slayer. But this is not the sarcastic, cheery Buffy that we know. This is a hardened, I've been a slayer for three years and it sucked, <laughs> Scarface, Britney Spears, dark eyeshadow makeup, Buffy Summers. And she says, yeah. want to tell me what I'm doing here? <laughs> so we cut to the house. And I will add, I kind of like that Buffy has this scar. Like, I don't, I'm sad that she, you know, got into a big fight and has a scar. But I think it makes her look really, like, badass. I can't take my yeah, eyes off I, it. and I mean, you know, shout out to people who have scars. Nothing wrong with having scars. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, wear those with pride. But also, like, I, I just like thinking about how different things must have been for Buffy if she didn't come to Sunnydale. 
She didn't have the Scoobies at her back. She didn't have Daddy Giles. You know, Joyce is probably just 24-7, 420 blaze it, smoking in <laughs> the, the haze of her, her house. Uh, there's no Kendra. There's no Faith, right? Because if Buffy didn't die fighting the Master and come back, then... It's just been her. There's no other Slayers. Yeah, it's just been her. But also, isn't it interesting how Buffy's kind of dressed like Kendra here? They kind of have similar outfits. Yeah, I was going to point that out because, you know, you're all about the practical slaying outfits. I am. And for once, Buffy is super practical. Yeah. And yeah, we can just see a lot about the difference in her personality here um, versus how we know her. So clearly, she something happened right before she was supposed to go to Sunnydale before the harvest. Um, something kept her from there. And that was awful for everybody. <laughs> so... Giles is telling Buffy that in order to defeat Anyanka, one must destroy her power center, and this could reverse all the wishes she's granted, rendering her mortal and powerless again. So without her power center, Anyanka would be an ordinary woman, and this would all be different. And he looks really pleased with himself. He's like, look it, I've exercised my watcher muscles. I'm so great. <laughs> and Buffy is just like so unimpressed, and she's just like, great, what's her power source? Um, she's like, why don't we just try to put a stake in her heart? You'd be surprised how many things that'll kill. And Giles says, I don't want to kill her, Miss Summers. I want to reverse whatever effect she's had on this world. And Buffy's like, you're taking an awful lot on faith here, Jeeves. <laughs> she's like, kill the bad fairy, destroy the bad fairy's power source, whatever. And all the troubles go away. And Giles is like, well, it's not that simple. And Buffy says, the world is what it is. We fight, we die. Wishing doesn't change that. So bleak. So bleak. I know. Buffy, like, what happened to you in the last three years? I know what happened. She never had Angel, and she never had her Scoobies to keep her grounded. Like she said at the beginning of this mm. episode, we need to check up on Faith because it can be a very lonely, hard life on your own. So Buffy's had a very lonely, hard life the last couple of years. Giles says that he has to believe in a better world. And Buffy says, well, go ahead. I have to live in this one. So there it is. Like Giles is is holding on to well, this idea that things could be better. It's the dualism of philosophies, right? It's on the one hand, you have the person who's always trying to make the world a better place. And on the other hand, you have a person who has surrendered to the fatalism of the world is what it is. And we just have to accept that. Giles is saying that Cordelia knew that he was her watcher and she knew you and the master sent his most vicious disciples to kill her. So she must have posed. Oh my God. <laughs> if Xander and Willow are his most vicious disciples, I'm really concerned. <laughs> like what happened to Luke? Where's he at? <laughs> so Buffy says, um, who's the master? And Giles is like the supreme vampire around these parts. He lives in the outskirts of town in an old club. And Buffy's like, well, why didn't anyone ever try to kill him if you know where he lives? And Giles says, people have tried. So Buffy's just like, all right, point the way. <laughs> like, I, made, I might as well kill him. I might as well do some good in this town before I leave. Giles is like, well, let's muster up some kind of force to take on the bronze. And Buffy says she doesn't play well with others. I'm going to ask you once and then I'm going to get testy. Where is this club? So we cut to the bronze and it's empty and dead bodies are everywhere. And she goes downstairs and she sees Angel in the cave. And she's just like, whatever. And she goes to leave and Angel says, Buffy, <laughs> Buffy Summers, it's you. I mean, you don't remember. How could you? But I waited. I waited here for you, but you never 
came. It was supposed to, I was supposed to help you. Poor Whistler has some egg on his face, eh? (laughs) Yeah, Whistler's just like, oh, I gotta eat a slice of humble pie. I sent this guy, he was living a perfectly good life in the sewers, and I'm just like, go, there's a destiny waiting for you in Sunnydale. And then he gets there and gets tortured for three years. It's not fair. (laughs) He's just like, I could really use a rat right about now. And... Buffy's like, you were going to help me? And Angel's like, the master rose. He let me live to punish me. And I hoped you would come. My destiny. And I was like, oh, he thinks Buffy's his destiny. So so maybe the master's punishing Angel because Angel killed Darla. Oh, very interesting. For sure. Actually, that's probably exactly what happened. And I just also want to point out that like, He's saying my destiny was to help Buffy, but also Buffy was his destiny in a lot of ways. So like, let's just like, let's drink that in everybody. So Buffy asks if this is a get in my pants thing. (laughs) He's like, she's like, you guys in Sunnydale talk about me like I'm the second coming. I don't have time for stories. Where's the master? And Angel says they're at the factory. It starts tonight and I can take you there. And Buffy's kind of like, all right. So she she breaks into the cage and she starts to unchain him. But the cross around her neck gets really close to Angel's face. So he recoils from it. And Buffy realizes that he's a vampire. And she's just like, oh, you gotta be kidding me. <laughs> like, she's like, I don't have time for this shit. And she's going to leave. And Angel says, I won't hurt you. If you don't believe that I want to help you, believe that I want him dead. And he stands up and he opens up his shirt. Yay. And it, it's covered in boils and and, you know, marks and scars and stuff so so alliance time buffy and angel are forming an alliance they go to the factory and there's a bunch of humans locked in this wooden cage and it includes larry and oz who i guess were scooped up right after they left the library the korean girl from earlier in the in the other reality and a group of vampires are watching the master give a commencement speech and he's on stage with willow (laughs) and xander behind him And his speech is basically like, you know, behold, the technical wonder, which is about to alter the very fabric of our society. (laughs) He's like, some have argued that this advancement goes against our nature. They claim that death is our art. Undeniably, we are the world's superior race, but we've been bound to the mindless routine of the predator. Hunt and kill. Titillating? Yes. Practical? Hardly. (laughs) Meanwhile, the humans with their plebeian minds have brought us a truly demonic concept. Mass production. So what a great speech. Who's your speechwriter? I'm going to apply. I'm also just surprised. I never would have thought the master would go in for this kind of scheme because from what we saw of his decor in his lair in Mm -hmm. season one, I don't know if you remember, Seth, but they must have bought out every candle in Sunnydale. He wasn't an electricity guy. He wasn't a tech guy. So it's interesting to me that he's embraced that here. Well, I think it's cool because think about this. Like in the harvest when he was going to rise, he first came out of that blood pool. Remember when we were like, how is he not covered in blood? How? (laughs) I never forget my first blood pool stuff. (laughs) No one forgets their first time. But he would have risen that night. Right. And then he would have had three years to wander Sunnydale and take in all the modern technology. And he's like, okay, okay, True. okay. Like, I haven't been up here for like 900 years. Okay. I, I could get, I could, I could get all this, you know, HBO, yeah. uh, vending machine, toaster. Like, he's got the espresso um, machine. He's like, this is way better. This is so much yeah. better. And I, I personally want to know does he team up with Kikistos, <laughs> the really old Greek demon with no, the clawed hands? I, I feel like they wouldn't get along. 
Uh, but I feel like Mr. Trick would come and work for us. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah. Mr. Trick and the Master would be the perfect match at this <laughs> point because he's like, bring me into the 21st century, my man. So the vampires are all cheering and Xander is like, we really are living in the golden age. <laughs> so at Giles's house, he's doing a spell to beseech on Yanka. And he says, in the name of all women scorned, come before me. And Anyanka spookily comes out of the corner of his <laughs> she house. She was standing there the whole she time. She was literally standing there as soon as he started the spell, <laughs> but she kept it quiet and under wraps, and she knows when to make an entrance. So she comes in and she says, do you have any idea what I do to a man who uses that spell to summon me? And she's all veiny. No, but she says it in a much raspier voice. Oh, I was so. practicing earlier. Remember, I was, I was bragging <laughs> about how, how raspy my voice was today. He's like, do you have any idea? <laughs> That's, yeah, that's, that's the one. You got it. Oh, a man who uses a spell to summon me. <laughs> <laughs> Where's the reboot? I am ready. I'm ready to audition we for go, Anya. Well, they need more Asian actors. Why can't Anya be Asian? <laughs> oh, my God. Yes. Um. So we cut back to the factory and the master is like bringing out the first. And so the vamps grab the Korean girl. Uh, and I wanted to ask you, like, how did you feel, Steph, about the Korean girl being killed off? Uh, we don't even learn her name. She's just there. Like, do you think it's an honor that they choose the Korean girl to be the first first one to be drained? Or are you just like, fuck, another Korean girl fridge? This is literally what I was thinking. I was like, of course they grabbed the only Asian girl left in Sunnydale because they've already picked off every other Asian in this town. Hey, some of them got turned into stunt vampires. Good for them. Good for them. But they're like, this of all these white people... This is the one that we're going to take right? first. Oh, well, whatever. Good to her. It's so, good to see her on screen. Good for her. So the vampire minions load her onto a conveyor belt and strap her in, and she's screaming, but they stun her. And then the conveyor belt moves her down the belt, and then she gets to this machine that, like, stabs her with oh. a bunch of thick needles. It looks really, again, like, this is a disturbing scene. Yes. Exsanguination, which is the removal of one's blood is disturbing at the best of times. And this is like, you got like eight of these things drawing the blood out of her. Yeah. Really, ugh, I, mm -hmm. I don't like it. It's very visual. Um, so yeah, the, the machine is literally draining her of all her blood. Uh, literally, the blood is on tap. So one of the vampires can just like press a tap and fill, out a, fill up a goblet of fresh Korean girl blood. <laughs> and uh, they pass it along up to the master so he can have the inaugural taste. And then meanwhile, the conveyor belt you know the draining things pull away from this girl and she's dead and it just kind of like conveyors her away and we don't see what happens to the body is it incinerated i don't know um and you know the master raises the glass and toasts everybody and drinks from it and it's just so good i guess yeah well my question is like isn't the whole point of feeding off a live human so the, the blood is warm and fresh so you'd have yeah, to drink this I, I right mean, away. Again, you could you could keep it warm. Yeah. You could keep it warm in various ways. But anyway, so just as the master's toasting the future of the vampire race. <laughs> the future. Buffy shows up. And and she 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 infiltrates. She comes in and uh she's got a crossbow with her, and she fires the crossbow at the master. He very quickly reacts and gets Xander in the way. And unfortunately, <laughs> it doesn't kill Xander. But so funny. it's still a funny scene. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, it's like like the moment that she fires the crossbow, all the vamps are on her. 
So that crossbow doesn't last very long, and I understand the, the logic is probably if you fire it well, you only need it once anyway. But still, it wasn't the most practical choice. Um, and then cue the epic hootenanny of a fight scene. It's such a good. This is such a good scene um, because it, it it's happening while Anyanka and Giles are talking. So it like cuts in between the two of them. But yeah, Angel's helping people out of the cage. Oz is let out. He grabs a wooden stake to go and help the fight. Everyone's scattering and fighting. Willow and Xander jump down to join the fray. So. Anyanka's advancing on Giles, and he's like, Cordelia Chase, what did she wish for? And Anyanka's like, I had no idea. Her, <laughs> her wish would be so exciting. <laughs> Brave new world. I hope she likes it. You're you're freaking me out with how accurate your voice is right now. <laughs> and Giles is like, you're going to change it back. I'm not afraid of you. Your only power lies in the wishing. And of course, Anyanka grabs him by the neck and says, Wrong! And pushes him up against the wall. Which, Giles? Giles, why would you think that? Giles, you're you're way too confident in approaching Anyanka. Is it because she's a woman demon, Giles? So we cut to back to the factory. Buffy's kicking Willow and Xander's ass. It's great to see. She like knees Xander in the face or something. It's awesome. As Buffy's fighting other vamps, Xander is approaching her from behind with a stake. So Angel just like goes out of his way to jump in front of Xander as before he can get to Buffy. And Xander stakes Angel in the heart. Also, we should mention all of this is happening in slow motion with no sound except for the music. Yeah. While Anyanka and Giles' conversation is like overlaid. Yeah, yeah. So Angel turns to Buffy and they look at each other and he says... Buffy and does and Buffy like just he doesn't care because she doesn't know this guy but Anyanka is saying you know this is the real world this is this is the real world <laughs> it's like this is the world we made isn't it wonderful <laughs> and okay and in slow motion Buffy approaches Xander and stakes him in the heart and he dusts and we cheer we cheer loud yes <laughs> yes 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 love to see it Willow goes over to help, but Larry grabs her and Oz rushes her and pushes her into a protruding piece of wood in the wall. And she does. That's the safety hazard right there. Well, um, yeah. Like, I know it's from the broken cage, but why did you build the cage out of wood, vampires? You know that wood can become a safety hazard to you. Clearly, there's a lot of metal. You could have <laughs> built a metal cage, but no. Um, um, and and it's so poetic that Oz is the one who kills her, right? Well, it's so... Po okay, there's so many parallels here. So Xander finally gets to watch Angel die in this reality as he wanted to in our mm -hmm. reality, yeah. right? Oz kills Willow, which... Uh, you know, Willow just broke his heart. So he then penetrates her heart and she dies. <sighs> And then Buffy and the master are approaching each other in slow motion. They're like pushing people out of the way so they can get to each other. And Giles sees Anyanka's necklace glowing green. So he snatches it off her and he punches her and she falls over. And as Buffy and the master start to fight, Giles grabs something to smash the necklace with. And Anyanka is saying, you trusting fool. <laughs> how do you, how do you know? <laughs> I'm losing it. How do you know the other world is any better than this? And Giles says, because it has to be. 
And just as the master grabs Buffy and snaps her neck ah, in slow motion, Giles smashes the necklace and the world flashes white as Buffy falls to the ground. And I'll add here that it's still the prophecy. This is still the prophecy. Buffy will face the master and die. Oh, yeah. Right? Good point. So there's so many parallels in that scene. So flash of white we're back on sunnydale high campus and cordelia is saying is wishing that buffy summers had never come to sunnydale anya turns around and she says done but she's not veiny anymore and her, her deep voice is gone and Cordelia's like that would be cool no wait i wish buffy summers had never been born and anya's like done <laughs> But, like, nothing is happening, and she's really confused. I'm surprised that Anya can't remember what happened either, to be honest. Well, yeah, so this is a good question, Mm -hmm. is does she not remember, or is she just disoriented because everything changed back? Yeah, yeah, that's true. That's true. Because, like, she must figure out at some point later on in the day that she's lost her necklace and she's lost her powers, because now she's just an ordinary 26-year-old teenage girl. (laughs) (laughs) So, I, I don't know. It, it, it's it's confusing. It's a confusing moment, of yeah. course, but it's funny. And yeah, and then Cordelia, I love this part. She's like, I wish Xander Harris never again knows the touch of a woman. <laughs> and that Willow wakes up tomorrow covered in monkey hair. <laughs> done! Anya's like, done, done! Like, it's not happening for her. Yeah, Cordelia just walks away from Anya. Maybe she thinks Anya's still with her. It doesn't really matter because Cordelia, this is making her feel better, wishing terrible things on these people. So she walks away past Buffy, Willow, and Xander who are having a happy conversation on the stairs like nothing ever happened. And the end. Fantastic episode. I just want to say really quickly because at the beginning of recording, I said I had a little bit more to say about Anya. I don't want to get into spoilers here, but I do want to say that mm-hmm. I think it's really significant that Anya and Cordelia meet this episode. Okay. It's really neat, and we can talk about this at the end of the season perhaps, but I really like that Anya was introduced in a Corey-centric episode, at least for the first half, and that she was significant in that part of the journey. Right. We can talk about that later. Let, let, let everyone mull that over, and then in a year from now, we'll talk about it again. Anya, Anya's <laughs> going to be back. Don't worry, people. Yes. Uh, and we love her. So who's your hero? Uh, my hero, I said, is, I said, thank you, Anya. You're my hero for giving us a really fun alternative reality. What a fun romp this was. Yeah. But I don't know. Like, it's hard. Like, Giles, obviously, is the one that saved the day. Yes, Giles is my hero. Yeah. He, he's the one that figured everything out. For being an optimistic out. fool. <laughs> you, you trusting fool. Um, right? Yeah. But let's remove the fourth wall for a second and thank the writers. Thanks for giving us an episode like Ooh. this. It's really fun. And here's the thing is I'm hit or miss on alternate reality episodes because there is a part of me that resents the characters not knowing who they should be in my head. Like, this is who you should be. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so, you know, episodes like alternate reality episodes, amnesia episodes, uh, it's all a dream episodes. Those frustrate me sometimes. Yeah. So when I say I like this episode and when I say I think it's one of my favorite episodes, that's me giving it very high praise because it has to clear a bar. But it's also a lot of fun. Like writers can have fun with these alternate reality episodes. They get to break the rules. They get to kill off some of the characters that are our favorites. You got to bring back the master anytime the master comes back in this series in like flashbacks and stuff. Yeah. Mark Metcalf, he's just so great as a villain. <sighs> I honestly, I have very few criticisms of this episode. It's just, it's such a good episode. Well, look how bold, right? You you killed Xander, Willow, Cordelia, Angel, Buffy. You killed our almost our entire cast. And a Korean girl. 
And and the only Korean girl with a speaking role. <laughs> so she's still alive now in this timeline. Don't forget. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Small small wins. Small wins. Great episode. Great job all around. Uh, really fun. Excited for next week's too. But let's get to our hot stakes. Okay. Our first hot stake is from Maria. Uh, Maria wanted to let us know that she agrees with what we said about Willow's use of magic in Lover's Walk and how it's problematic from a consent point of view. So thank you for writing in about that. And uh, anybody who's listened to Lover's Walk at this point, hopefully you enjoyed us discussing that angle to things. I I think discussing consent uh, and magic is very important because it's so powerful and at the end of the day, consent is always about power, right? Consent is not just a sex thing. It's about acknowledging I have power in this situation. So therefore, I need you to consent before I use that power, yeah. whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so Maria goes on to talk about Spike. And Spike's little speech in the magic shop, uh, you know, I, at least I'm willing to admit that love, love made me her bitch. <laughs> Classic. Which I love. Yeah. So Maria says... The little speech Spike gave in the magic shop about love being blood screaming inside to work its will did make sense to Angel and Buffy, since they were painfully trying to be just friends, when they clearly will never be, acting only with the brain's side. However, my thought on this is that love, real love, is both love for those who can change, mature, learn, and grow. Uh, It's both brains and blood. Uh, It's lust and reason. Spike cannot understand this because he doesn't have a soul. And so the love that he has for Drew is strong possession and obsession. Remember, the first thing that the judge said to them was that they shared affection and jealousy, which gave them just a bit of humanity inside, but still having just one or the other never really works. Spike may think he loved Drusilla, But he really just treated her like a prize and possession. Willow and Xander just had the lust, and Angel and Buffy were focused only on the reason. Neither one was happy in the end. Mm. Yeah. So I, I just, I really like this comment because it ties together the parallels that we were talking about in this episode, right? How Spike, his return to Sunnydale, and his doomed quest to somehow win back Drusilla through a love spell is really just there to highlight what's going on between Buffy and Angel, what's going on with the Xander, Willow, Cordelia, Oz, quadrangle thing. So really great way of expressing that, Maria. And this contributes to our ongoing discussion of can vampires and these soulless creatures, can they love? You know, we've been talking about that for Mm -hmm two seasons now and kind of going back and forth and trying to figure it out and the show isn't always super consistent on it but i think that's a really nuanced way of looking at it maria thank you yeah and i agree with you for the for the record um about the brains versus blood like it's both for sure so well said uh our last hot stake is from b and she wrote in to talk about this episode the wish and she says that Vampire Willow had a huge impact on queer teens at the time. When I was watching it for the first time during 2020, the queer panic I had watching the episode was monumental. (laughs) And my aunt, who watched it at the time, said that Vampire Willow was her bisexual awakening. The hotness of the character is undeniable and self-evident, but I have a theory as to why she's just so chef's kiss. I made it for you, B. 
of course, a lot of it is the male gaziness of the character and the fact that Alison Hannigan is gorgeous. But the fact that we are seeing Willow, a character so wrapped up in meekness and virtue, being so vicious and cruel, is an unexpected subversion that is so powerful. But given the context of the episode, I would also say that we are seeing a continuation of Willow's potential for a hoe phase, for lack of a better term. <laughs> and the evil dominatrix vampire queen is where she's heading if she kept going in the same vein as the Willow Xander romance. By the way, disgusting. <laughs> so combined with what you've been saying about Willow's underlying power hunger, one could say that this is a long-term foreshadowing for a... <gasps> darker side of willow but no i'm sure she will remain morally unquestionable wink wink nudge nudge completely agree especially with that very last statement i don't think anything could possibly happen <laughs> yeah. uh, as we know all of these characters are always straight edge yep. and they never struggle with temptation there's no gray in their morals um, that's it's black and white very very clear all the time first i just gotta say like that is super well said b mm -hmm. <laughs> um, oh yeah have you written like an essay on Buffy, because I would read it because you just expressed that so well. So thank you for that. And I, I, I love that we're engaging with the queer coding of this series, whether it's intended by the writers or not, right? Like you, we can always debate that. But I love that queer fans can come together and, and talk about what they got out of this show because there wasn't a ton of queer content on TV in the 90s and early 2000s. You had to read a lot into shows like this. Mm -hmm. So thanks for sharing that perspective. Well, also, isn't it interesting? And I said this when we were talking about Vampire Willow and like how they're so sexualized when they're vampires. Well, a lot of that sexualization, they also bleeds into them being bisexual as well. Or like having that that mm -hmm. identity too, but only when they're vampires. Well, yeah, she, you know, she can't be gay because then she's not going to have sex with the men who are watching the show. Right? <laughs> like that goes what to, back to what B was saying about male gaziness. And that is somewhat biphobic, right? Mm -hmm. In the sense that like, you know, when we see bisexual people depicted on TV, often we see them depicted for exactly that reason, right? So that you can, men can feel okay being attracted to them while also being turned on by the fact that they're making out with women. Yeah, yeah, it's so true. Maybe we'll have a chance to talk more about, you know, vampire evil sexual hot willow in the future who knows but that was such a well-written comment b thank you very much all right finally we have a new member a new chosen one has been called tara says i became a fan the very night it aired had no idea what i was watching at first but i just <laughs> happened to have the wb on nice i was 12 <laughs> um what it what an age right like <laughs> Like, I, I, I was a little bit younger than that when, when I was first watching the show. Mm -hmm. So, you know, she's like, showing my age a bit. No, like, I think most of the people listening to this show are kind of in our age bracket. I know we do have some some younger listeners who came to the show much, uh, much later after it aired. But um, I, I think that we're sort of part of this kind of revival of let's let's pick up, let's reanalyze Buffy. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, sorry, sidetrack. Um, <laughs> Tara says, my favorite character is Buffy and always has been. It's tough to choose since I love them all in their own special way. Uh, but I'd have to say my favorite episode is Hush, which, you know, lots of people have picked that out. We're going to get to that mm -hmm. one more season. Don't worry. Mm -hmm. uh, it's how I have suckered my friends into watching the show. 
Uh, and thanks again for creating this awesome podcast. You're welcome. And thank you for supporting us. Thank you so much. So much. Yeah. Tower joins us with our other chosen ones. Um, Lizzie, Emma, and Hannah, thank you for your ongoing support. Thank you, all of our members. You can go to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls. And we are working hard to use your support to make the podcast even better. Yeah. And lots of fun things coming down the pipeline very soon in December. So stay tuned, everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you, Maria and B. And thanks, Kara. We will see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to Prophecy Girls. If you want and can afford to donate, head over to buymeacoffee.com slash prophecygirls for one-time and monthly options. We appreciate all of your support, even if it's just spreading the word about us or enjoying our show week by week. We also invite you to join in the discussion by messaging us on our social media channels. Follow us at Prophecy Girls Podcast on TikTok, Instagram, and Facebook, and prophecy underscore girls on Twitter. You can also reach out to our email at prophecygirlspodcast at gmail.com or visit our website, prophecygirls.ca. See you next week. Bye.